Hello, I'm Jonathan Mast, and welcome to this edition of the Sedgwick Podcast. Uh, we have a returning guest today, but it's been a while. Uh, Adam Fisher, who's the Chief Data Officer for Sedgwick, joins us. And Adam, thanks for, for coming back on the show. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to talk about transforming data into action. And so we probably should lead with like the most important question, if you have an answer to this, what is your favorite transformer character from the since we're talking about transformation? Do you have one from the Transformer movies? Oh yeah, I always uh, <laughs> like Optimus Prime. <laughs> there, there you go. That's that's probably the goal of every chief data officer, right? To uh, to to be the one that that uh, has it all going on. So anyway, just a little fun, just a little fun before we jump in, but. Obviously, data is, is extremely important. It's continuing to grow uh, every day. There's just more and more that uh, we're all trying to handle in organizations. And so, Adam, first question. Comparison tactics help us understand our organization better and develop creative solutions. And the data used in benchmarking has evolved and become more sophisticated. But what's changed? Break it down for us. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much more data being tracked, maybe, than there ever was before. And in some cases, there's more and more systems involved in, in tracking all that data. So part of the challenge and, I guess, opportunity at the same time is bringing that together. Um, so, you know, more questions can be answered and then more insights can, can be gleaned. Um, but luckily, like the, the biggest change that's occurred probably in the last, I don't know, five, ten years is there's just been so much evolution of like new data tooling available. Um, you know, for the longest time, and, and I think this is certainly true at Cedric, you know, the, the data team at Cedric or any of the analysts at Cedric, their main and like go-to uh, tool set was mainly Microsoft Excel or um, you know, we're a big user of uh, business objects, um, which is a very powerful tool. Um, but in the last, call it, you know, five to ten years, you've got this whole emergence of, you know, powerful visualization tools like Power BI, which is a Microsoft product, Tableau, which is now on by Um And then the advent of, uh, of Python, like an open source programming language, and there's a package within Python Pandas, which is very powerful for data analysis specifically. Um, and when you combine the use of, of all these new tools with, you know, some of the old stuff, even Excel, you know, there's just so much more you can do. Um, so it helps you become even more creative in, in some of these solutions that, that you can apply. And then for benchmarking, um, it helps you do better benchmarking because this is always going to tend to benchmarking, but to do it well, it's kind of a, an art and a science, and the science part is trying to adjust what you're comparing so that you can make it as like apples to apples as possible. Um, you know, we kind of have a challenge where, let's say, if you don't have a lot of data um, to do benchmarking, then you almost can't even do it. Um, you need a certain amount of just data volume to work with so that you can carve out kind of what you're trying to compare to the everything else. 
Um, you know, that's one thing that they were really lucky at Cedric with such a massive book of business. You know, we cover every industry under the sun. We've got thousands of clients and tens or hundreds of millions of claims. So we're confident that we always have something to compare to and not only something to compare to, but an ability to adjust that target comparison to make it look just like what we're comparing to. And that can be done by making sure that the same states and geographies are involved, the same time periods involved. You know, we even go into things like class codes and job titles and making sure that, you know, for comparing one book of data that, you know, has certain attributes, we'll tune it exactly to, you know, a book of business. So because we can cut through, you know, hundreds of millions of claims and kind of leave them on the cutting room floor, when we're done, we're almost certain that we have kind of a representative twin of what we're comparing to. Um, and the tools that are available just make that process faster um, so that you, you can be doing that kind of in every direction. Um, so that, that's a bit of an overview. Well, we know that transparent and robust data help drive the best claims outcomes. How has data transformed the claims process in uh, in our business? Yeah, I, I mean, that, that comes down to just there's so much um, repetition, I would say, and kind of like how claims are processed or handled. And when you have, you know, again, like hundreds of millions of claims kind of in the, um, you know, kind of in the archives, you can see these patterns kind of continue to emerge. Um, so they're applying the data, again, using some of that same kind of focus that I described in the benchmarking process where you're kind of tuning things so that you're certain that your comparison is set and, and kind of a twin of what you're comparing to. It can tell you all kinds of things about how, uh, you know, like a, a new claim that's coming in, the trajectory of that claim and how it's going to develop over time. Um, so using that, you know, massive amount of historic data, it's not just modeling that tells us, like, how that claim is going to develop. It could be all kinds of things. It's like, hey, maybe it's the coding quality um, or even the notes that are being written about a claim. We can compare those to other claims that are just like it and all the notes that have been written about that claim and then make, you know, suggestions or insights about where, you know, this new claim is going just based on, the trajectory because there's there's so many other things that are similar about it. Um, one example here is um, we recently rolled out um, uh, automated reserving for the first time. Uh, you know, medical only claims. So these are claims that only have you know a, a few doctors visits. Nobody's missing any time from work. Um, we noticed that um, across our entire book. Um, most examiners were just arbitrarily setting an initial reserve, and that reserve was probably in the you know, $500 to $1,000 range. So it wasn't a bad reserve. It was just an arbitrary one. Um, and then on a, a handful of clients, they did have some rules, but it was like a one-size-fits-all rule where, you know, thinking of like a, a grocery store chain, they have like a $1,000 kind of go-to rule, and another uh, hospital system had a $775 rule. So they had a rule, but it was just kind of an arbitrary, like, one-size-fits-all rule. And when we went to look at the, the data to come up with, hey, well, what would, a, what would a better rule be, or should we even build a model for this? And 
ended up not building a model, and it's kind of like this idea of transparency and just like applying data to the to the best practice. We ran we, we, we ran the rules and we looked at like the variation of like all the different ways that you could come up with a, a first uh, reserve. There are about a hundred thousand different rules that we ultimately could come up with to like really pick that perfect first reserve. But when we kind of ran all the the analysis again using some of those same tools I mentioned, the the new Python stuff and all these these great kind of free software essentially, um, we found that um, with only 6,000 rules, we were able to explain over 90% of the variation. So the thinking was, well, you know, we could get it perfect if we had 100,000 rules, but we can get it close to perfect with only 6,000 rules, and that's, like, much easier to explain. Um, so we ended up picking 6,000 rules that look at state, cause, nature, you know, uh, body part, and those rules are very good at picking that initial first reserve, um, so good that, uh, like, if we run it across, you know, millions of claims historically, it, it's almost, you know, perfect at, at picking that first reserve and, and kind of for closed claims, it's like right where those claims close. Um, so just a one example of how having a lot of data and using it kind of transparently um, in all kinds of different processes, you, know, you can start stacking all those processes on top of each other and really get to some efficient outcomes that, you know, save everybody time and actually make the, um, the outcome of a claim kind of, like, just better. We talked in the, in the first question about how much and how fast things are changing. So looking into your, your crystal ball or into analytics, uh, how do you expect benchmarking to evolve in the in the coming years, I would imagine we're seeing rapid change. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it will continue to go in the direction that it's already been going, and maybe even even faster. So, kind of that process I was describing, where you're, you know, when you when you're doing benchmarking as a best practice, you're trying to, you know, come up with that twin of what you're comparing to, and and making as many adjustments as possible as you can to like help solidify that, you know, A and B are kind of the same, even though they are fundamentally different, um, and you've accounted for all of the known differences that you can kind of uh, filter away or apply in some kind of analytic process. So with the advent of, you know, large language models and, and all that we keep hearing about with um, just artificial intelligence and machine learning generally, you know, some of those same methods could start to be automated so that even if, uh, you know, say uh, uh, an analyst is less skilled at trying to do all of the adjustments that a very skilled analyst has kind of learned over time as, as these, these kind of large language models and these AI processes become more commonplace, they start to do some of those things that today require, you know, somebody with many years of benchmarking and comparative analytics experience has how those can be done just kind of like, you know, out of the box. So we're starting to see and even some of the tools that, that we use, some of these like new and modern tools that focus on, you know, advanced analytics, if you will, they're already starting to incorporate some of these capabilities so that you could just, you know, like you're chatting with an analyst, say, hey, uh, could you compare, you know, these two, uh, you know, clients or these two populations? 
and you know if, if I figure out really sophisticated ways to um, make sure that they're apples to apples that you know even humans might forget because even a skilled analyst who's got lots of experience with trying to make these adjustments, it's usually this kind of routine list of things that you might have to just let me check for this, let me check for that. So you know, this is where computers are very good at not forgetting to do all the steps. And, you know, again, even skilled analysts might forget to do some of those steps. Um, so I, I see that happening over the coming years, that there'll just be better and more automated ways to complete benchmarking, maybe where you never even thought you needed it, um, just because the, the kind of processes and AI methods will start doing it for you. Well, it sounds like a lot, uh, just like everything else, uh, is, is evolving quickly and a lot of exciting things to come. So, Adam, let's, let's dig into the concept of supporting claims holistically and the goal of end-to-end integration. How do the right tools, data, and people help improve performance and outcomes in this situation? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the tools and the people are probably the most important part. You know, like I mentioned with the data, that's just kind of this throwing repository of, of, you know, claim information that we've been collecting and it's just, you know, just logarithmically kind of exploding in size. So we definitely need better tools and the newer tools to kind of comprehend it and, and frankly just work with it. Uh, but the people are the most important part and, and that's kind of, where, at least in my experience at Cedric, and where I think we've made the most kind of progress is like actually bringing all of the data expertise kind of under one roof or under one team, and really collaborating more as a as a data team, you know, as as a group that has like a um, common interest in focusing on better ways to, you know, work with the data and go through some of the same common. Um, analytic processes, you know, like we were talking about benchmarking. That's like a specific focus of like what you might do with data, um, but maybe separate than like what someone else might do if they're building a predictive model. Um, you know, both might use all the data that we have, but they're, they're very different. So having an ability to collaborate as a team, but, but kind of divide and conquer is, is pretty powerful. So, um, you know, at the same time, we've got new tools that, you know, members of our data team have worked with before and other members are, are, are kind of learning anew, um, it's great to have, um, you know, kind of collaboration and, and have help, you know, go, go to parties or people that have, have kind of used this tool before um, and kind of help each other learn it faster. Um, so, so we've taken the approach of kind of um, on top of the traditional tools that we use, the Excel and the business objects have added a whole slew of, you know, new tools, um, and, and I believe those are the most modern ones that are available to really anybody in the world today. Um, and, and now as one consolidated team, uh, all of us are kind of upping our skill, both in the new direction where maybe we haven't been exposed to, you know, Python or some of these open source algorithms, even large language models, I and mean, those are new for everybody. Um, but we're also seeing that, you know, where parties on the team have a lot of expertise in, say, Excel or business objects, they're helping the other part of our team that has, you know, more experience with some of the newer tools kind of get better with with that kind of part of the equation and vice versa. So 
had a lot of just great collaboration. Um, and then also just like separation of tasks where, you know, as somebody's learning kind of a new um, analytic kind of process or, or method, um, as we work in a collaborative uh, data science kind of environment, it's pretty easy to replicate and share. Um, and then we have lots of, um, you know, call it meetings or kind of opportunities to, to tell each other what we're doing. Um, you know, even, uh, you, you know, I think we're, we're 100% remote. Um, and we, we use a lot of the, you know, team-based tools and chat and, um, you know, people are, are constantly kind of sharing kind of work that they're doing and asking for help on specific items. And, you know, that, that's one way to really, like, improve the process. The other part of the, the end-to-end integration piece that's important is, like, now that we have this, like, new, um, you know, kind of set of tools at our fingertips and have much more, like, direct access to just a ton more data, um, we can just do more on our own. You know, in some cases, maybe there would have been examples where, and I think this is probably true of lots of organizations, where um, when you have pockets of people who have access to different amounts of data, there's just not as much self-service that can happen. You're kind of depending on other parties to, like, either get data for you or, you know, open up access for you. So, so now that we have a more centralized data team that has, like, more holistic access where, you know, possible, um, they're able to help themselves. And, and we have fewer, like, IT projects where we need to, like, just get, you know, access. We now have our own access. We can just constantly improve our processes and like, constantly expand our abilities across just a bigger and bigger team. Well, as we begin to wrap up and giving us a lot of great information. Uh, for those out there listening, how can organizations be more proactive? For instance, what questions should they ask? For example, you know, are, are they using the right services, partners, processes? Um, certainly we, we offer so much, but uh, what should they be looking at? Yep. Yeah, you know, I think this kind of goes back to the question before on just kind of like that it's all about getting the right people, the right tools to access the data that, you know, you might already have. So like, you know, every organization is sitting on a, a gold mine worth of data. And I think the first opportunity, the first question they should ask is like, you know, is this data easily accessed? You know, you go into most organizations and that, that's probably a no. Um, you, you know, we know that we, I hear this all the time with, with you know, folks that we can outside. It, you know, we know we have some data, but we're not quite sure on how to get our hands on it. So that's the first thing you want to be asking, how to better get access to the data. Um, and that's where, like, big centralized data teams kind of come into play. You know, I, a long time ago, I worked at a big bank, and we had centralized access with, like, 200 colleagues had access to, like, all of the data. And that, that was pretty powerful because, the rest of the organization knew, hey, I need to go to this organization who has access and I would ask them to, to answer this question or not. Um, and then I know that they would have access to the data. So first off, just getting access to the data. And then the other question is just, or, or the practice that, that helps get you on this road, I think, is just starting to use that data to answer more and more questions just because, you know, really well-run organizations, really data-driven organizations, they use data to answer every single question that they possibly can. In fact, 
that the most data-driven organizations wouldn't accept answers that didn't have data behind them. Um, and, and, and that's where, that's where you know, we, we want to go or where we're going, um, that you would always have evidence to back something up. Um, so the other part about partners and processes, it is, this kind of comes back to the culture of different organizations that um, you know, can be pretty common usually in like larger organizations, especially ones with like really big IT functions that have made considerable investments in IT. They, they tend to want to build and process everything kind of on their own or internally or, you know, build things versus buy things or even partner with things. And, and this is where it kind of gets more difficult. You kind of have to think about it as, well, even if I could build this myself, should I? If there's other tools on the market that can just do this faster or more easily, like, why wouldn't I use those? Like, why do I want to reinvent the wheel? Um, and and that, that's maybe a bigger challenge now that there's, you know, with all the modernization of data tools that I mentioned, there's now, like, like a data tool for everything. So it's almost like a, a new challenge of, like, how do I pick the right tool or partner? Or, you know, everybody is telling me that they can help me with this. Every tool is, is marketing itself as being amazing or overlapping on each other. Um, so, so my advice there is, like, you kind of just have to, like, test and learn. Um, so, so we definitely, you know, for, for every, you know, 10 new tools that we might onboard that think are going to be as great as they were marketed to us, yeah, maybe one isn't. So you kind of have to be prepared that they're, they're not all as great as they are built to be and, and are, uh, are going to tell you that they can do more. You're definitely going to get further faster by getting help from partners, adding more tools probably than, than less. You know, I think just relying on the same old tooling that you might have ever had is, is not as so many new ones have come out, and so many of the new ones that have come out are actually very good. Um, so you kind of have to, to take that leap and, and try some. Um, and the other part is, you know, we, we've had the benefit of adopting a lot of new tooling in the form of, like, new data platforms even, and have scaled it well with, like, that more centralized team, but at the same time, we even have some help from partners to come in and, and do some of the things that maybe we're not ready to do. I mean, we've learned from watching those partners and how they do it, and then we've been able to take that process over and then iterate into that much more of a difficult kind of next, you know, process. So, you know, we're kind of scaling it and growing and then just adopting more and more of, of the, the tools and, and techniques. Um, so I think those are, that's one way to approach it. Well, Adam, thank you so much for being with us today and, and providing you know, such a wide and, and deep uh, look at uh, at data, and, and we know it's it's changing. It'll probably change by tomorrow, of course, all the things that <laughs> that uh, the team is working on and doing. But uh, if, if people want to learn uh, more, is there a particular uh, place they should go to, to get more information about what we're doing? Yeah, I mean, our website has so much uh, great information about, um, you know, all the different services and, you know, kind of offerings and geographies that Cedric is in. And luckily now that the uh, data team is, like, fully global, um, you know, you can be certain that almost all of them have some element of, of data benchmarking kind of analytics behind them. Um, so, so really that, that is the goal of, of Cedric generally is to kind of bring our 
you know, massive data, um, you know, repository or kind of ability to really everything that we do and to be kind of data-driven, like I mentioned, where we're, you know, using data and as many of the decisions that we can possibly make um, and, and even getting to the point where we're now arming, you know, those on the front line, things, examiners, uh, adjusters, you know, uh, clinicians, uh, with with all that data and packaging it in a way that makes it really kind of actionable. Great. Well, once again, thanks for, for being here today, and we hope uh, you come back again soon and, and talk about the next big thing. And so to our listeners, until next time, thanks for being with us today.